0: Oh, man, it's good to worship, isn't it? Don't you feel so blessed to be in worship? You know, it's fun to worship in the car or the shower or wherever by yourself. But uh, when you come together and you worship together, I don't know about you, but it changes me every single time. Amen? Yeah. So thank you, worship team, for leading us into that and for preparing the way. Amen? Yeah. I just want to say this morning, thank you, Jesus, that you made a church. That we can just worship together so freely. Amen? We can worship so freely. We have uh, we have the freedom in this country to worship how we want to. And that's not something that we can just kind of write off. Right? That is, that we, we can worship without restriction here in Canada. And that's a wonderful thing. Amen? Amen. I know you all agree with me. Uh, you know, we have got, we've got a wonderful relationship with each other here in this church. It's a fantastic body. And I know you would agree with me that we should never take the relationships that we have for granted, right? We should never take them for granted uh, for the people that he has surrounded us with. And I, I want to speak this morning about relationships, and I want to speak about healthy relationships in particular, healthy relationships, right? And since Valentine's Day is coming this week, I thought it might be an appropriate topic. Men, men, men. We know we got our breakfast coming up this hour. you got You got some time left. Or you got to make this do this right this Valentine's Day, okay? You got to be on point, amen. Men? Come on, right? You got to get it right this week. This re- I actually read a funny anecdote about relationships, and it was this: If you love something, you set it free, right? And if it comes back, it wasn't always will be yours, but if it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. Have you heard that before? But, this continues on, it says, but if you set something free, and it just sits in your living room, makes a mess, eats all your food, just uses your internet, takes all your money, and never behaves like you set it free in the first place, well, either you gave birth to it, or you married it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sorry, I got the microphone. I can give as many dad jokes as I want to. All right? But this is why I want to talk about healthy relationships. Right? Hopefully you cannot relate to that anecdote. I really hope you can't relate to it. Right? Because we should all have healthy relationships. Amen? We should all have healthy relationships. I'm not talking about perfect relationships. Nobody has a perfect relationship except for Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus can be perfect. Our relationship the relationship between Jesus and the Father is perfect. But ours aren't, but we can have healthy relationships. That's what we can have, right? Especially in our marriages, by the way, for all you who are married out there. When Paul was talking about marriage in his letter to the Ephesian church, he described it as being a reflection of the relationship that we have with Jesus. Isn't that something? I always actually talk about how Paul sees this relationship whenever I marry, uh, whenever I marry a couple, right? And uh, the thing about being in a marriage, it is that it's by definition, an exclusive relationship, okay? Even though our culture today would like to pretend otherwise, marriage is a one-to-one relationship, okay? A one-to-one relationship. The person you're married to gets your full attention and they give you their full attention, which is why I call this sermon, Attention Please. Do I have your attention, by the way? Yes. (laughs) When you're married to someone, you're married just to them and no one else. If you try to expand beyond that, well, you have something else, but it's not a marriage, right? It's not a marriage. Marriage is an exclusive relationship. You can't add to that definition or redefine it as anything other than exclusive because this is how God defined it, the union of one man and one woman. That is what marriage is. It's, that's the relationship. Amen? That's not a, by the way, that's not a, a statement that is in any way difficult to understand. That is what God, how God designed it. There's nothing crazy about that. It is the definition of one-to-one man and woman. That is what marriage is. Okay? And uh, which is the reason why the first commandment that God gave to Moses puts a major limitation on Israel's ability to have a relationship with any other God except the one true God. The commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Why is this the first commandment? Because God invited the people of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship, a one-to-one relationship with Him, where He would be their only God, and they would be His special people. Amen? Yeah. So a people who are going to be the recipients of His attention, of His protection, of His protection, uh, and the recipients of His blessing, in a way no other group of people in the world were going to experience. Amen? I'm married to Holly. I am the sole recipient of her attention. (laughs) I'm the sole recipient of her love. I'm the sole recipient of, you know, her protection, of everything else that's in 1 Corinthians 13. Read that. If you want to know what true love is, read 1 Corinthians 13. I am the sole recipient of that from Holly. Amen? That's good. And so with Israel, the very first thing God did was to clarify for them what the boundaries of this new relationship was going to be. There had to be boundaries. Now, Holly's uh, definitely a lot more versed in the theory of all this, and she actually teaches a class in relationships at Trent University to people that are not in the church. So, you know, she speaks the truth about what the research says and, uh, you know, what relationships are. And it's really funny that the research actually backs all this up. It's not just that this is the way God designed it, and research shows that it is actually correct. What we see in the Bible is actually what creates a healthy relationship uh, in, in the world. Right? It, it, the, the actual secular research proves this, which is what I love about it. But one thing that I've gleaned from her notes about healthy relationships is that there is a foundational element that you have to have in order for your relationship to be healthy. Do you want to hear what it is? All relationships have boundaries. All relationships have boundaries. All of them. If you have a relationship, if you have a marriage, if you have a friendship, uh, whatever the case may be, if you have a relationship, there have to be boundaries. Amen? Yeah. Even with your work colleagues. You can't walk up to your, go up to your work colleague and, 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 you know, say whatever you want to them about their relationship. There are boundaries. There are clear professional boundaries. There are boundaries within any type of relationship that you have. The relationship has a boundary. So the question you have to ask yourself, though, is whether or not you understand what those boundaries are. Because if you do know the boundaries and you're willing to accept them, then you can enjoy a healthy relationship for a very long time. And on the other hand, if you start a relationship and refuse to have any boundaries whatsoever, if you're not willing to respect, sacrifice, and love within mutually beneficial and healthy boundaries, then it's going to be a very difficult, if not impossible, relationship to have. You both have to be on the same page. Amen? Amen? So back to Exodus, because of the nature of the relationship the Israelites were going to have with God, he wanted his people to have a very clear understanding of what their boundaries were with him. Because this was not a relationship they're going to want to leave, because when they were with him, he was going to extend to them some pretty significant protections from the brokenness of the world around them. If they left the boundaries of the relationship, most of those protections would be lost. And without them, they were going to have a pretty hard time Making it as a people. That was the fact of it, a fact of the matter. Israel was in a tough place because they were not as big or as powerful as uh, all the other nations that were around them. If they didn't have help, if they didn't have a relationship with God, they were not going to make it. That was just the facts. They needed relationship boundaries to make that happen, though, for them to strive, for them to, to actually grow, to become the people that they were meant to be. And the Ten Commandments served as the big picture of what was allowed in their relationship and what was not. And the very first of these boundaries was to make clear that they were to have no other gods besides the one true God. All right, so what does that mean exactly? Well, Israel lived in a polytheistic world. Not only did all the nations around them have a different God, they had several gods. They had several gods. They had more than one God. In fact, they had tons of gods. They had a whole pantheon of gods, because that is how the world worked. And, you know, we look at the ancient world and kind of laugh at the aspect of there being a, a god for everything. Uh, but they didn't have the answers or a scientific understanding even of how the world worked. And, and so humans assumed that everything, uh, everything that happened around them uh, was done by divine beings. Oh, the sun comes up every day? Oh, there must be a sun god. Oh, the moon follows it? There must be a moon god oh, we have agriculture this time of year. That this is when the plants go, oh, well, there must be a god of agriculture. They just had all these gods that, that were, they thought controlled everything. And the idea that there was one god that did it all seemed pretty far-fetched, right? What's more, Israel had been living in a cultural context within Egypt that was completely pagan and polyist, poly, polytheistic for 430 years. Every time I, I read that, you I, I, I can't imagine it. The Israelites lived in Egypt for 430 years right? So it was all that they knew. So instead of dropping a a truth bomb on them that all these other gods were just figments in the imaginations of the people that ruled over them, he went one step further and he told them, well, one, these gods are not real, but two, no matter the consequences, do not worship them. Those are the rules that he put down. Why do this? Because if they're going to be in a relationship with him, it was going to have to have boundaries It was going to have to be an exclusive relationship. No other gods besides the one true God. And it's easy to dismiss this command today because we don't share the same contextual background that they had. But this command is actually true for us today as well. It might be different than we see in this historical account, but the boundary identified for living in a relationship with God, that has not changed whatsoever. It hasn't changed. Maybe our reason for for not having other gods besides him aren't the same as they were for Israel, right? Probably was not that, but we still can't have any other gods besides him if we're going to be in a relationship with God. Why is that? Well, I touched on this last week, but it, it comes down to this. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. Whatever it is, Whatever it is that we give our greatest and highest devotion to is going to shape our character. In fact, anything that we give any amount of devotion to will absolutely shape our character. How we look, how we act, how we think, the kind of things that we value, the things that we hold as truth other than the truth, right? We become what we worship. We become what we give our devotion to. Amen? We become what we give our devotion to. Uh, I, I, I came from the corporate world, and I could never understand why there were so many people that were so devoted to their jobs sometimes. When I would look at you know, some of the, the stuff that was out there, they would always be pushing the, the corporate agenda. Every year, uh, we would get sometimes these little knickknacks in the office that was like, uh, our corporate values. These are what we believe as a company. These are our values. This is our vision. And every time I looked at it, I'm like, man, this is such... Corporate cringe. Every time I read it, I'm like, why don't you just be honest with me? You want to make as much money as you can with paying people as little as possible. You just want to make money. That's what your vision is. Can we just be honest and move on? That's fine with it. I'm all right. I'm all right to work for that because that's going to be working. But let's just be honest. You don't really have a vision other than profit. Right? That's all, it, that's all it was. But there were so many people that became so devoted to these values, I could never quite wrap my head around it. And if you, if you have LinkedIn, you'll see that people are the same way right now, too. They always write out these, 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 this ethos about the companies that they work for and what they're doing that's so great. And it, it, it just, it's, it's, it's really cringy to me because it doesn't make sense. And a lot of the stuff that you see out there right now written by corporations, is all written by AI anyways. It's not even real, Right. It's, it's funny what people give their devotion to. You know, and the, the thing with business, too, is that, you know, they demand that devotion to the company without any promise of even job security. So it's misplaced devotion, right? And that's just, that's just business world. There's also, you know, a lot of people are devoted to a sports team as well, too. A lot of people are devoted to sports teams. They, 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 they think the manager makes wise decisions with every trade that they make, with everything that they organize. Oh, they're so perfect in what they're doing. Meanwhile, there are some teams even in the city of Toronto that haven't even won a World Cup. There's no promise of a championship ever. I'm, just, I'm just, just bugging you guys. This is funny. No, but we become what we worship. We become what we worship. Amen? Yeah. This is why the character of what we worship Manners. Matters. And I I can't stress this point enough. Given our modern day context, if we worship someone or or something with bad character, we're going to share that bad character as well. We're going to share that bad character. If we worship something or someone with questionable morality, we're going to share their questionable morality as well too. I don't need to name any political figures out there. You know who they all are. And I don't care if it's the left or the right. It doesn't matter. These are still people. They are still people. And the heart of people is what? It is wicked. If we devote ourselves to people, we're going to become the character that they are as well too. So where do we place our devotion? Devotion. In God and in God alone. I'm, I'm all for voting. I believe in democracy. I believe it's the best system we have outside of God. And uh, I think you should vote. And I think that you should always, you know, uh, pray about where you should be your, putting your vote. But guess what? I am not devoting myself to any man. I'm only devoting myself to the one true God. Amen? In the last five to ten years, the church has allowed itself to be influenced by a lot of things other than Christ. It has. And while I do feel it's important that that we, we, we're not isolated from the world around us, Christians who are in Christ should not be influenced by the world around us. Christ should be the influence in us. And also the influence that comes out of us. Amen? Influence is a big topic these days. You know, everybody, uh, you know, I, I saw an interesting study as well too that, you know, back in the 60s, Whenever you asked a child, you know, what they wanted to be when they grew up, one of the number one answers was, Oh, I want to be an astronaut. And you know, back then astronauts were amazing pilots, they were doctors, they were physician, they were some they were uh, physicists, they were fantastic people. And that was a great thing to look up to. If a child said they wanted to be an astronaut, I'm like, yeah, good, awesome. Astronauts are really well successful, good, successful people. But you know what today, when you ask a child what do they want <laughs> what they want to be when they grow up, you know what they say? I want to be a YouTube star. I want to be an influencer. Isn't that crazy that that's the case? And the thing about social media is that those algorithms are crazy. They they feed you things to influence you into a certain direction, right? I like even myself, and I'm, if I'm on YouTube and I, I see a preacher like, I say, "Oh, that's I let you, if I like that, or even if I just watch it, it starts feeding me all these other things that I think that I like, like." conspiracy theories, and other things that it thinks that I'm going to like. And, you know, you can't, you have to be wise to that as well, too, because it's going to enter into you. It's going to enter, whether you like it or not, that is going to influence you in, in a certain way. So you always have to be wise of what's trying to be pushed onto you, right? We have to make sure that our devotion is in the right place. Amen? We become... Like we worship, we become like what we consume. The saying you are what you eat has never been more true. Right? We become like we worship. But guess what? I've got some good news for you. That was a little bit that was a little bit sad what I just said, but I got some good news for you. You ready? God is completely different from anyone or anything else that I just mentioned. No one and nothing is like him. Nothing. He is the best influence he can you can have on your life. He's the best influence. Why? Because he is better. Because he is above anyone or anything else. His character is good in a way that no one else can ever be. He is wise, he is just, he is loving, he is compassionate, and he is holy and he is righteous and you can if they go on about how good he is all the time. Right? Nothing else comes even close. Nothing else we worship, including our jobs, including our hobbies, including wealth, or any other God's man has made, ever comes even close to how good he is. Not even close. Everything else is just a reflection of the fallen world that we live in. It's all broken by sin. And if we worship something that is just a product of sin, we'll only become more sinful. Amen? Do I have your attention? Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, God is holy and righteous. And when we worship him, we become less sinful. And the world around us actually becomes a better place because we become better people. And that has a greater impact. It has a greater influence on the people directly around you more so than anything else in your life. And it's all or nothing. If we try to, if we try to worship something else or something alongside or in addition to God, then we'll be trying to give our, our devotion to two entirely different things. It's going to be divided. You just can't maintain that kind of split devotion. It's, it's not actually possible. We'll settle for either one direction or the other until something becomes our primary influence. And here's what I've noticed. Usually we wind up settling for the easier option, the, the lower option the thing that doesn't ask us for all or nothing, the thing that doesn't require our complete devotion, which again is why the very first thing God wanted Israel to understand about living in a relationship with him was that they had to get rid of everything and everyone else. Having more of a one-to-one relationship uh, was, it wasn't going to work unless it was just completely devoted to him. Why doesn't it work? Because the devil also wants all of your attention. The devil wants all of your attention, and here's the difference. The devil tricks you into giving him all of your attention, but Jesus Jesus asks it from you in love. That's the difference. So if the Israelites gave their worship to anything other than God, they were going to drift away into sin, and once again, I, you know, and once they were in sin, they were not going to be in a relationship with him any longer. The same is true for us today. If we worship anything other than God, we're going to be gradually pulled away into sin and away from our relationship with Him. Have you noticed that uh, when someone turns away from God, I've said this before, I see it time and time again, when someone walks away from God, it's never usually just a 180, oh, I'm following God, then 180, no, I'm not following God. It's always one small step away. It's moving your head away, from not, not, not paying attention to Him for one second, looking somewhere else, then gradually Gradually, one more step. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to do this. It's not a big deal. And you just keep turning. It's small steps away from God. It's never a 180, right? And that's why he requires our full attention at all times. And not being in relationship with him puts everything we care about into danger. It hurts us. It It hurts our families. It hurts our church. Last week I said that we're all assigned a mission and that our mission is all the people that are all around us in our, in our sphere of influence, right? So what would it say to people who are in our sphere if, we clear, if we're clearly glorifying something else other than God? If we're depending on something else other than God? If we find ourselves worshiping something else other than God? It's bad for everybody when that happens. So this morning, the challenge is what or who is it that we are worshiping? What do you give your devotion to? Think carefully on that because it's really easy to try and smuggle things in the door without realizing it as well. It really is. Today more than ever with all the voices that are constantly trying to get our attention and our devotion, we have to ask ourselves, what are the things I'm allowing to impact my heart and influence my worldview? Are the things that I'm giving my devotion to higher than the devotion I'm giving to Jesus? I mean, I think this is something we have to be honest with. If any of these things are higher than than my devotion to him, am I, am I comfortable with the person that's going to shape me into? What are the characteristics of the person that I give more devotion to than I give to Jesus? What can he or she give me that Jesus can't? Is this thing or person I'm devoted to a, a source of life? Can it help me solve any significant problems in my life and any challenges that I'm facing? Can it? Can anything else other than Jesus do that? And No, it can't. That's right. I'm going to call the worship team up here while, while you ponder that and think about that in your lives. I know that these are not easy questions to answer, but they're important to ask so that we force ourselves into a place of awareness, awareness of what the sources of our influence are. What are we allowing into our lives? We will become what we worship. Always be sure and aware that you are only worshiping something that you are comfortable resembling. Right? Well, you're comfortable becoming because the object of our worship, the object of our attention, it always shapes our character. If we worship something that has no life in it, guess what happens? We're actually gradually drained of life. As a as a pastor, I, I've 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 been with a lot of people who were, you know, gonna be passing away soon. I've been at their bedside before when including my own mother by the way, at her bedside you know when you know knowing that she didn't have a whole lot of time left. And I can tell you this that any anytime that I've been with somebody that, that's that close to the end of their life, I've not once heard them say, oh, I wish I spent more time at the office office. Oh I, I wish I spent more time in my hobbies Oh I wish I spent more time doing something else. You know what I've never heard anyone ever say that. But what I have heard is someone not regretting that they devoted their lives to Christ. I've never heard anybody regret that ever in their entire lives. And I've also seen them in that point of time not afraid either of what was to come because they knew what awaited them. That's what a life of devotion gives you. It gives you that assurance. And it's something that you can't find anywhere else. Amen? So just as we worship here again, I just want you all to, to just just ponder and think and ask the Lord today, Lord, is there anything that is getting more attention than you in my life today? And if he shows you something, just say, Lord, I repent that I've, 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 I've made something else a God before you. I just release that to you right now and I give you my full attention. Amen? Let's just worship him this morning and let's just hear from the Lord. Amen.